You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you as we, contend, as we continue our Lenten journey with power and passion in search of resurrection. Normally we take six long weeks to journey to the cross, but last week we started with Jesus in Pilate's chamber. And today we talk about Barabbas. So we linger and we remain with Jesus already on trial. Jesus who has already been captured. Jesus who is there before the crowd. Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the 27th chapter, beginning with verse 16. It will be on the screens and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Now at the festival, the governor was accustomed to release a prisoner for the crowd, anyone whom they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Jesus Barabbas. So after they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Jesus Barabbas? Or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that innocent man, for today I have suffered a great deal because of a dream about him. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then, what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? All of them said, let him be crucified. Then he asked, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning. He took some water and he washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Then the people as a whole answered, his blood be on us and on our children. So he released Barabbas for them. And after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All four Gospels record that the crowd was given a choice between Barabbas and Jesus. But in, in no other Gospel is the choice so telling as it is in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's crafting of the story offers us a very thin line between sin and righteousness. Because we are presented with Jesus Barabbas and Jesus the Messiah. Barabbas or Bar-Abba means son of the father. Bar means son, Abba means father, as Jesus would say, Abba, daddy. So the choice that the crowd has is Jesus, son of the father, or Jesus, son of the father. Sometimes the line between sin and righteousness is, is very, very thin. 
Sin is tempting because sin is half right. Sin is half right in the sense that it gets half of God's first commandment correct. Be fruitful and multiply. The problem is sin is excellent at multiplying. But it is never fruitful. That's why it's so tempting. It's so close. Sin is like a cancer of sorts because it multiplies with reckless abandon. But in so doing, it only crowds out the good. So the crowd is given a choice between Jesus, Son of the Father, and Jesus, Son of the Father. At first blush, the choice is close, maybe even difficult to distinguish. But the choice changes the trajectory of everything. This choice reveals four different strategies in which the Jewish people lived as an occupied people. In order to lean into the story, in order to understand Jesus' passion, we must understand what it was like to be an occupied people. The Jewish people were occupied by the Roman authorities. And there were, in general, four different ways in which the Jewish people lived out their faith as an occupied people. Now, understand that this is very, very general uh, in, 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 in what I'm about to say about these four different groups of the ways in which they lived out their faith tradition. And understand that, that when, when we look at ourselves, when we look at ourselves, we see ourselves as, as diverse and, and nuanced and, 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 and uh, lots of different ways of looking at the world. But when we look at the other, we see them as stock and plain and only thinking one way. Another way to look at that is, um, as a Duke fan, our team is, is nuanced and has certain strengths. And when Zion Williamson is in the lineup, we, we are unbeatable. But if you're a UNC fan, your team is just terrible, right? Uh, no matter what the lineup is, no matter what the coaching strategy is, they're just terrible. But our team, we are nuanced and And uh, we have an excellent coach and all of these. When we look at ourselves, we see ourselves as diverse and, and nuanced. But when we look at the other... They only think about one thing. They only worship one way. They are easy to understand. Nevertheless, there are four different strategies uh, that that, uh, Jews during the time of the first century lived out their faith as an occupied people. First, we had the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were the keepers of the temple. The most important thing to a Sadducee was keeping the temple cult, making sacrifices, keeping the hierarchical power in place. Therefore, their relationship with Rome was one of cooperation. Cooperation was their strategy. Rome allowed them to keep the temple. Rome allowed them to maintain the temple. The military might of Rome allowed them to keep order, and order is necessary for the kind of temple economy that kept the Sadducees in power. Though through cooperation, that means that being a sovereign nation with a Davidic king is now a fantasy. And at worst, collaboration helped maintain a brutal oppression of the people. So the Sadducees, their strategy was to cooperate. 
Then you had the Pharisees. The Pharisees, uh, they sought reformation. The Pharisees uh, sought to reform the tradition, to reform the faith. And and, and reformation has deep roots uh, in the Jewish tradition. Much like the Babylonian exile, many saw as, as God's tool, God's judgment, because the people were not keeping the law, in much the same way, the Pharisees saw that the Roman occupation of the Holy Land was an instrument of God to wake the people up, so to speak. So if they zealously kept the law, if they obsessed about keeping the law, then God would overthrow the government and the Davidic kingdom would be reformed and put back together. Problem is, this obsession with the law, this keeping of the law was both practically and economically impossible for regular folk, for the day laborers, which kept the Pharisees who had separated themselves, kept them in power. So we have the Sadducees whose strategy was cooperation. We had the Pharisees whose strategy was reform. And then we have the Essenes. The Essenes, uh, they, their strategy was simply to escape. They went and they lived in the desert. They escaped the Roman occupation altogether. And they, were, uh, uh, they sought purity. They sought uh, uh, cleansing uh, through their rituals and their practices and keeping the Sabbath. And the good of that is that they took very seriously the idea of purity, of welcoming the stranger and keeping the Sabbath and, and the holiness. But escaping creating a protective bubble with people just like you, escaping injustice doesn't mean that it goes away. You might not see it in your backyard, but it doesn't mean that it's not there. Finally, we have the zealots. And the zealots were the restorationists. They did not want to bring about a new kingdom. They wanted to establish an old kingdom. and They had no problem using force to do it. If you remember when Jesus was captured, one of the disciples took out a sword and cut off the ear of the officer who was coming to get Jesus. And Jesus says, do you come, do you come after me with swords and clubs as if I am a bandit? As if I am a zealot? The zealots have no problem using murderous force to overthrow the Roman government. The problem is, they weren't fighting against oppression. They just didn't want Rome to be doing it. They wanted a regime change, not the kind of kingdom that Jesus was proclaiming, a kingdom in which the last shall be first. So in many ways, the zealots, it's not that they did too much, they did too little. In their quest, Barabbas would identify with the zealots. Scripture says he was a bandit, he was an insurrectionist. One of the gospels says that he murdered for the cause and he was arrested and captured. But then that begs the question so which group did Jesus belong to? Which group would Jesus have identified with? And of course, today, we we don't have Sadducees and Pharisees and Essenes and Zealots. We don't have Sadducees who would 
work with a corrupt government in order to maintain their own power. We don't have Pharisees anymore who are obsessed with everyone else's holiness as opposed to their own. We don't have Essenes anymore, those who would create a protective bubble so that they don't have to experience the injustice of the world for themselves. Of course, we don't have zealots, folks who would rise up with force to overthrow a government they don't agree with. Now, on the one hand, Jesus would identify with the Sadducees. Jesus went to the temple. Jesus participated in making sacrifices. In fact, when when Jesus healed lepers, he told them, go and present yourself to the priest and make an offering as a testimony to them. But then Jesus also said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice. So on the one hand, he would identify with Sadducees, but on the other hand, he's completely foreign to them. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. How does that work? Of course, Jesus would identify with the Pharisees as well. Jesus did not come to overthrow the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Jesus followed the law. So he had a great respect for the Pharisees. But he was also at odds with them most often because he redefined the law. When Jesus was eating with his disciples, the Pharisees were there and they were watching them. And they noticed that the disciples were eating without washing their hands. And the Pharisees were quick to correct Jesus. Do you not know that this is not correct by the law? And Jesus says, no, no, no. It's not, it's not what goes into the body, but what comes out of the body that, that defiles. Jesus would pick grain on the Sabbath and heal on the Sabbath. Jesus was not overthrowing the law or doing away with it. He was bringing it to its own heart to fulfill it and to complete it. And Jesus knew that when he went to the cross, the Pharisees would now completely dismiss him because according to Deuteronomy 21, 23, he who is placed on the rod, he who is lifted up on the cross is cursed by God. But that's the thing with Jesus. Jesus is not trying to be pure in order to do God's work. Jesus, there's a story where Jesus was interrupted. Man, when we, ever, when we think we have everything figured out, we get interrupted by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to, to heal Jairus' daughter. And while he is going, he is stopped. A woman touches the hem of his garment. A woman who had been bleeding for 12 years touches his garment. And Jesus does, Jesus does a scandalous thing. He turns around and says, who touched me? And when she admitted that it was she, Jesus is now admitting to the entire crowd that he is now ritually unclean. Who touched me? And he leans down to her and says, daughter, daughter. When was the last time someone called her daughter? Daughter, your faith has made you well. And the people are shocked. Not so much that Jesus was able to heal, but that he was able to heal And he was ritually unpure. My, what power of God is in the Messiah. The same thing holds true when there was a widow at Nain and her son was being brought through the city and her son was dead. And Jesus, Jesus touches the funeral pier. He touches it and he brings the man back to life. 
And the crowd is shocked. Not so much that Jesus was able to bring the man back to life, but he made himself unclean in order to do it. And this the Pharisees have very little patience for. Because they missed the point. It's not about being clean in order to do the work of God. Or as John Wesley would say, or John Wesley did say, are you willing to make yourself more vile for the gospel? Are you willing specifically to get your hands dirty to share the gospel with those who need it? I mean, Jesus wasn't always dirty, so to speak. He would, he would also identify with the Essenes. Jesus was baptized, after all, and baptism was a very Essene kind of thing to do, to go into the River Jordan, to come up and to see the clouds part and the heavens ripped asunder so the Holy Spirit might descend. Jesus was un- would understand the importance of getting away, taking Sabbath, understanding the purity and the holiness of of God, but Jesus also would get his hands dirty, would go to the people. Jesus didn't wait and set up shop in Capernaum and say, Well, if you want to come to church, come to me. No, he went out into Judea, into Galilee, and even to those rascals in Samaria. That is not what an Essene would do. Jesus spoke truth to power. He was not trying to escape the Roman authority. He overturned money-changing tables. He called the religious elite, you brood of vipers. You're like whitewashed tombs. Beautiful, but empty inside. Jesus did not try to escape the injustice of the world. He offered himself instead. And of course... Jesus would understand the fervor of the zealots. Those who wanted to do whatever it took to stop the injustice of the world. But Jesus also said, remember when the disciple cut off the guard's ear, Jesus healed him and said, put the sword down. If you live by the sword, you will die by it. And that is not what a zealot would do. Jesus even said things like, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And that would be completely foreign to a zealot. For Jesus, righteousness righteousness and purity is not about living in perpetual anxiety of being unclean. Rather, it is a life lived in perpetual anticipation of being transformed. Or as Sam Wells puts it, who authored Power and Passion, don't forget that Christianity is not so much about being clean as it is about being cleansed. Don't be so tough on yourself that you cannot see the glory of forgiveness and the gift God is giving you in a new relationship in Christ. The purity, the righteousness that matters most is our unambiguous willingness to accept new life. In Jesus. This new life is not predicated upon hierarchy or order. As Jesus says, the kingdom of God, the last shall be first. This new life does not depend on keeping your hands ritually clean as much as it is knowing when to get your hands dirty. Like the Good Samaritan. 
seeing the man who had fallen among robbers and not walking on the other way, but to pick him up, to bind him together, and to offer care. This new life does not depend on escaping the world, but redefining it with great love. This new life is not about doing away with your enemy, but loving your enemy. And as difficult as it is, praying for those who cannot look you in the eye. The crowd chose Barabbas because they did not have the holy imagination to believe that Christ really can change everything. Do we believe that the power of Christ can upend our assumptions about the world? Do we really trust Christ enough to go and learn what this means? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Do we really recognize that God put on flesh and walked among us so that we would walk with each other, not retreat into a protective bubble of people who only think and act and look like us? When given the choice, which son of the father will we choose? Which son of the father have we chosen? Which son of the father has offered himself for us? In the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, as St. Patrick reminds us, may Christ be before us and behind us and to our right and to our left and above us and below us. May Christ's life live within us so that we believe that Christ changed everything. Give us the courage to go out into the world, to get our hands dirty for the glory of your kingdom. Help us to go out into the world to teach righteousness, not to escape so that we ourselves might be unblemished. Help us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice of great mercy so that we will choose Jesus, the Messiah. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen and amen.